Welcome to Spiritual Success, the podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Stant. As a dedicated student of metaphysics, I have skillfully honed my intuition, mastered the art of meditation, and cultivated a disciplined spiritual practice that has led me to become a multi-seven-figure top sales producer. Today, I work with thousands of business professionals, entrepreneurs, and their teams to up-level their sales game and create magic in their business and life. On this show, you will see that all success truly happens when you authentically align with your intuition. So come, be vulnerable, be open-minded, and allow success to pour through you here on Spiritual Success. All right, I believe we are live. Hello, hello, successful souls, and welcome to another guest appearance episode on the Spiritual Success Podcast. And again, if you are a member inside the Spiritual Success Sorority Facebook group, you are watching us live on video. So I encourage anybody who's listening now to pause it, hop on in, go look it up in Facebook. All you have to type is the Spiritual Success Sorority Facebook group. Come join us live so you can see these actual interviews live and in person. So today I have a really fun guest. And of course, I'm going to do an awesome uh, formal interview. But first of all, I want to give a shout out to my friend named Brett. Brett is actually the person that introduced us. You know, I love connection calls and usually connection calls are anywhere from 10, 15 minutes. But my guest and I today, we really hit it off. I think we were talking for about an hour and a half until I had to cancel because I was heading to Disney World at the time for my birthday. (laughs) But we could have talked all, all day. Now, of course, I love a really good salesperson. So we naturally hit it off that way. But at the same time, let me talk about our guest today. So MBA, CFP and bestselling author author, by the way, of 16 books. And if you're on video, you can see some of them that he sent to me here, which are amazing. We'll talk about these in just a minute. Author of 16 books, a best-selling author. Chris Jarvis, who's our guest today, really helps you see differently so you can run your business differently. For decades, Chris has helped successful entrepreneurs and wealthy families. By saying wealthy families, I mean billionaires with a B (laughs) to build, protect, and transfer significant wealth. He discovered the paths of riches that the richest people take so they they can stand out among the masses. Also, what is pretty cool is that Chris has partnered and co-authored with Jack Canfield, as many of you know, is the author of Chicken Noodle Soup for the Soul and one of the top contributors to The Secret. So Chris, say hello to all these successful souls. (laughs) Hello, hello, Cynthia. Thank you for having me and I'm looking forward to being here. Yeah, this is going to be super fun. I'm really excited. Um, So fun fact, you're actually our first male guest here, which I think is awesome, right? So what is cool is, you know, my brand is all about inner feminine beast. I love that. And don't worry, Chris, you totally have your own beast inside you, maybe not feminine, but that's okay. What I love about your company, and we're going to, you know, talk a ton about it, but right away, what I connected with when I saw you is that amazing background that you have of that giraffe. And I noticed in the book that you sent me to giraffe money, that the giraffe is your mascot. It's really symbolic in your brand. And I think it's marvelous what you have really kind of allowed the giraffe stand for. Can you tell everybody what exactly the giraffe means for you and your company? It came out of a lot of questions. So, you know, to be 50 years old and have a brand that that works and that lands well, it took, it took a lot of time. It wasn't, I didn't plan this out when I was 20 years old. I, I had a bunch of changes. I've had companies that I've started and got kicked out of. I've had companies that have worked and I've sold. I've had companies that haven't sold. Uh, I had an interesting path like many people, but when I got to that midlife place and thought, what is it that really makes me different? What is it that uh, allows me to see things other people can't, or what, what, what is that differentiator? 
I started going back to all my clients and asking them, what did you get out of this? Or every meeting I had, it would say, what did you get? And people would say, well, I'm looking at things differently. And I thought, okay, I can play with that. And I, I now have this different perspective, this elevated perspective, which again, led me into thinking about the giraffe. And as I went deeper into the giraffe, I found that the giraffe is the only animal that has evolved to become more vulnerable. Every animal, there's predators and there's prey. Predators try and hunt and eat the prey. The prey try not to be eaten, pretty simple. And predators have evolved to work in packs or in different prides. They've got strong teeth and jaws and, and upper body strength, night vision. The prey have learned camouflage. They learn to climb a tree or burrow or do something. And the neck is always the most vulnerable area. But the giraffe somehow has evolved to make its vulnerable area even bigger. Yet somehow by being more vulnerable, it can't borrow, it can't climb a tree, it can't really hide at 18 feet tall, that the giraffe's vulnerability actually allows it to see things others can't and reach things that others won't. And it's that evolution that in my career, when I stopped trying to be the smartest person in the room, and I started being the most vulnerable person in the room, deeper connections, greater motivation, greater inspiration, it changed everything. The books became much higher sellers. The speaking gigs came more frequently. The connections with the audience became much more, again, much more, much deeper and more impactful. So that was a big thing about being more vulnerable, sticking your neck out, breaking free from the herd, putting yourself in difficult situations, which I'd say traditionally women do a whole lot better with as far as the vulnerability of discussing things. So in sales, uh, you know, when I'm teaching sales, constantly, I would say women are at, at, at a distinct advantage over men, because it's natural to want to talk to people and ask questions and go deeper, which is a much more, you know, get to know the people versus let's get down to business and try and get this thing done. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of similarities between, between what you're doing and in the draft metaphor. That's really cool. And it's fun because we are live. So I can see a lot of our viewers here. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Linda. First of all, if you follow me, what is the thing that I always say is your number one superpower? Vulnerability, right? Vulnerability. And here it is coming from somebody super successful agreeing with me. So um, I really do mean it. Growth, everything that's on the other side of fear. That's everything you want. All growth comes from really getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I think it's so wonderful that you bring that up. And I love that you have that really symbolic mascot that really kind of, you know, exudes that. So you also have um, Giraffe University. I would love for you to tell everybody what that's about and how you help your clients with that, because I think it's really special what you've created. Yeah. So, so Giraffe U will formally launch in the next, uh, we'll say four to eight weeks, uh, GiraffeU.com. And the idea about GiraffeU is that there's a lot of people out there teaching. There's a lot of ways for you to learn stuff, but usually what you're learning is it's some content. Somebody has something they think you need to know how to do. And what's different about Giraffe U is everything starts with the context of what are you trying to accomplish in your life? It's not starting with, I have a funnel or I have a program or I have a mastermind or I have something. It's starting with what's going on in your life and where is your life? How are you doing with your health, your finances, your career, your relationships, how much fun are you having? And it starts with that. What is it you want? And then helps teach people how to get there. So sometimes it's through relationships. Sometimes it could be an interview or a book recommendation, but it's all tied toward you as the, the student, 
what is it you're trying to get more out of in your life? And let's see if we can help you get there. I think it was really fun when you and I connected and it was just such a nice bond. It was so easy to talk with you. Uh, right away, we started talking about social media. That's my whole background. And we were just talking about how a lot of entrepreneurism on social media is showing all the luxury and all the lifestyle and all the bling and all of these things. But we can both agree that when it comes to be super successful in entrepreneurialism, or if it comes to, you know, being successful in sales, especially, it's not just about the shiny ending, the fairy tale ending. It's about the grit, the resilience. It's about the grind. It's about the hustle. It's about really putting in the effort. And what's interesting is you've done so much amazing public speaking in front of salespeople. And I love that what you did is you gave away a survey to all the salespeople in the audience and you had them you know, fill out about these five different factors that you just mentioned um, about how to create balance in their life. And there's certain things that you discovered from reading these surveys and also some input that I think be really important for you to share with everybody here. So can you talk more about those surveys, again, what those five factors are and what you realized from those surveys? Yeah. So the, the giraffe ones pathfinder will be available in the next 10 days. And that's the five areas, finances, health, relationships, uh, fun, and career or purpose. And what I did was before it was called the giraffe ones pathfinder, it was, I used to call it the scorecard. And when I would come on to do a keynote before I would come on, literally the introduced the person introducing me would come on and say, Hey, before we bring up Chris in your packet, there's a two page test, take it, score it and look up, we'll give you five minutes. And then they would take the test, grade themselves on those, uh, you know, with the, with the scorecard, the way it told them to grade it. And then they do the introduction that, you know, written the way my mother wrote it. And, um, and then I'd come on stage and probably about 15, 20 minutes into the presentation, I would say, okay, take out your scorecard, introduce yourself to the person that you're with, uh, sitting you know, next to you and introduce, hi, I'm Chris, I'm from Dallas. And this year I'm gonna work on my health. And you might say, hey, I'm Cynthia, I'm from Florida. And this year I'm gonna work on my career or whatever it is that you want, your, whatever your lowest score is. And so by introducing it that way, it's affirmative in what your low score is. But then I would ask the audience who heard health, who heard relationships, who heard what have you. And with 300 salespeople, only one said relationships was their problem, even though salespeople have a really high divorce rate. Um, and I, I left that alone, but 275 of the 300 people, uh, over 90% said health. Yep. And when I got all the hands up and I, I didn't count 275, I counted everybody else because they were small and I knew where it was going to go. Then what was left was health. And, and my response on stage in Chicago was, oh, so what you're saying is this job's fucking killing you. Yeah. And that's exactly how I said it. And I got a lot of, and I, you know, in a, in a big room, you can't see everybody, but I can see the first couple rows and they're all staring at me. And I said, Hey, don't shoot the messenger. You filled this test out before I even took the stage. So this wasn't, this wasn't me manipulating you. There wasn't any hypnotism. There was like, you took the test and you said your health is the thing that you give up the, the most. Like that's the one that you're conceding for your career, for your relationships, for money. That's the thing that you're giving up. Yeah. And so the importance of that context is you can use this with any client you have, with anyone you're coaching, with anyone you're speaking to, that getting them to take an assessment first before you do anything else, it, it gives them the context for the remainder of your talk and the remainder of the seminar. So at the end of the day, I could sit there and try and sell you one of these, but why am I selling this to you? Why do you need it? 
what is the problem we're trying to solve? And ultimately, I find that so many people online, especially on social media, are trying to sell the thing they have versus taking any time to get to know the people to say, what is, what is it you really want? And every good salesperson, it comes from, you know, the reason why people will buy from you is they think you're competent. Well, that should come from your history and your experience. They should believe they can trust you, but that one's going to take time to develop. But the most important piece that most people miss is they, they buy from you, they work with you because they believe that you understand them. And that comes from asking questions and listening to the answers. So for me, I think that the assessment tool at the beginning of any interaction, any speech, any consulting, any, any you know, transfer of value has to start with some assessment that allows people to discover themselves what is their What's the problem? Like, why are we here in the first place? Why am I working with Cynthia? Well, if I don't know why, well, my friend is. Well, you and your friend are two different people. That's not a reason to work with you. The reason is I have something in my life I want to get better. I have a score attached to it and I'm working with you because I want you to help me increase that score. Whatever that looks like, but at least have some, have some context of why you're doing things because there's an infinite number of things we could all buy, subscribe to, attend, and we need to know what the hell that is. It's funny because I can remember going back to my executive sales role and I remember working 80 plus hour weeks and I missed my entire son's birthday because I was making sales and, and hitting numbers and leading people. And I, I'm laughing because I, I have a to-do list that I do every single day and it's always jam-packed. And I always say, even today, I still get done more in a day than most people get in a week. But I remember there was times that my husband used to fill in parts of my to-do list and he would write, Cynthia, eat lunch because I wouldn't take care of myself. I was just go, 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 going. And honestly, that is what helps me to develop my company was just we go, 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 go. But we don't give ourselves time to reap the rewards and actually create balance in our life. And that's so interesting hearing from your perspective and hearing those actual results that you got from those surveys this is it people like we need to make sure that we are mind, body, soul, that we are having this balance so that we can live the most of this life. Now I'm interested because you have quite the professional background. I remember actually listening to some podcasts that you were on prior to this. You are going to school for law. Apparently you have a background as a professional mathematician, which is blows my mind. Um, so when you were doing and doing and having multiple companies, how did you best, especially in the beginning, keep balance in your life or did you? <laughs> um, no, I think there's, there's a bunch of questions in there, I think, and I'll, I'll try to cover it from a bunch of different angles. So when Elon Musk was in, um, when he was in um, Clubhouse, someone asked for words of encouragement, said, what, what words of encouragement would you give entrepreneurs? And his response was, if you need words of encouragement, you can't be an entrepreneur. I love that. And I can remember when I started a company in business school, uh, I was the only person in my class of 335 who actually started before we left school at UCLA. And I remember a speaker, a guy named Luke Quiker, who had started Bristol Farms, came on and super interesting guy who talked about how he beat cancer with the power of his own brain. And he said, the hell with medicine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meditate and focus this away. And he did. And But his whole message to entrepreneurs was, learn to shave on somebody else's face, learn on somebody else's dime, go meet your clients and then leave the company when you feel really safe. And when it was over, he asked me, there were a group of five or six of us around, hey, what'd you think? And I was like, yeah, it didn't work for me. I said, I don't appreciate the message. And he turned away from everybody. So he was speaking in my ear, but I couldn't see. And I was like, the whole time I'm MFing this guy, like I can't believe I brought him in to speak and he's terrible and he's not inspiring me. And this is all telling people not to take risks. And 
when I said it didn't, it didn't speak to me, he turned, whispered in my ear and said, this talk isn't for you. You're going to be fine. He said, it's these people who think it's going to be an easy go that I'm trying to save them from the trouble. And he winked at me in turn and went back to, to answering other questions. And I thought, son of a bitch. Like that's, um, you know, that was the moment of, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And I was three or four years into my company. Everybody that I, I mean, Susan Wojcicki, the president of YouTube was in my business school class. The guy started stamps.com in the class ahead of me. People were making a ton of money, dot coms in the late nineties in the West coast. I remember a friend of mine asking me with my fledgling publishing company, when is enough enough? And I was like, what do you mean enough of what? Like, when is that it? I was like, when is what it? When is, when do you call it? When do I call what? Like, George, I have no idea what the hell you're asking me. And it was, he had to ask me 18 times, when will you give up this idea and go get a job? And it hadn't even crossed my mind. It was one of those, we'll just keep adapting and changing. The business started as a publishing company, then it became a pharmaceutical ad agency, then it became a legal referral business, then it became a financial firm, then we had 70 sales guys, then we contracted and managed money. I mean, we, as, as the audience wanted different things, we morphed into, into different stuff. And it was, I don't say it was tunnel vision because we didn't, we didn't ultimately do what we started doing, but we didn't, we were just moving forward and life will continue to throw things at you. So was there any balance in my life? No, there was no balance at all. Um, I mean, none in, you know, certainly in the beginning. And I would say even, in, even into my forties, there wasn't a great deal of balance, but I, I will tell you that balance is a chapter in the be the draft book that I'm working on balance is bullshit. And what I say is that there is no balance. There's no balance in a day. There's no balance in a week. There's no balance in a month. You may have balance over the course of a year where you look back and go, oh, I had some, I had a better year this year with my husband or wife than I did last year. Um, I spent, I did some cool stuff. I had some fun. I made some money. My career moved in a positive direction. But one of the really important things about this whole giraffefluence combination of the five factors is most of the time when you're moving down one path, you're actually moving away from your other goals. So on your birthday, when you left to take the kids to Disney World, you certainly weren't making money. You were spending a ton of money going to Disney, right? So financially, that, that week was not a positive financially, right? It's a very expensive thing to do. Your relationships with your kids, your family is what you were working on. Depending on the lines and the weather, you may or may not have been having fun. Certainly the kids were but you weren't working on your career. You were taking time away from your career to do things. And so, and depending on what you eat when you're there or how many, you know, how much wine you need to drink at night after a lot of, you know, kids in Disney, you know, your health may or may not have, you know, moved in a positive direction. So when you realize that when you're pursuing one or two of those five areas of your life, that you're actually moving away from the other ones, what I find is that people start to embrace the moments a little bit and realize, because it's easy it's easy to keep putting off your family, your fun, especially when the only thing you can quantify is money. Like how many sales did I get? How much work did I do? Did I get this thing done? We quantify money stuff. So mathematician in me, you, you only do the things that you count, whether you're how many ounces of water you're drinking, how many steps are you getting on your Fitbit or your Apple watch, how much money you make and how many calls have you made? How many sales have you made? How many followers do you have? We quantify things. And one of the big challenges is those other things get left in the dust because we don't quantify them. So start with realizing it's okay to do something and not do other things. And let's add some numbers to the typically qualitative things so that we don't, so we don't forget them. So some yeah. of it is a hack and some of it is an awareness. 
that around balances over time will experience balance. But in any given day, if today's the day that you make all your client calls, today's not a family day. No. Right? I mean, it's a work day. I'm really happy you brought all of this up because I resonate with it and agree with it so much. Um, many of my clients, when they first start with me, are like, Cynthia, first thing I want to do is get balance in my life. And I'm like, you came to me because you wanted to connect with your inner feminine beast. And how that works is you need to understand where the focus goes is where the momentum goes. And we need to really dive in deep and narrow down and put as much energy as possible to get the momentum going. And once we get the momentum going and you know, it's like that boulder, you're going to push it and push it at first. It's not going to move, but eventually we push it enough that it starts rocking and rolling. It's like Indiana Jones style. That thing's going to be coming at you. And then that's once everything's like, picking up, you have sales coming regularly, then you can start pivoting and focusing on other areas. So I agree with that all the time. Um, I'm a big Grant Cardone fan. I love, you know, sales, you either love him or hate him. I feel like I love him. And he's always talking about, you know, 10xing it. And he's always talking about, um, you know, all entrepreneurs, people say that you should read 60 books a year. He goes, no, no, no. I think you should read one book 60 times. That's how you become an expert at something, right? You know, Michael Jordan didn't sit there and said, oh, I'm going to try tennis today. And then I'm going to, no, he got amazing and super focused at his craft. So I think that's really important to understand balance comes with time. And that's exactly what we're talking about with the entrepreneurial grit, resilience, really putting all you have into it. And like you said, if you need encouragement, it's not necessarily for you because it is a mind game. I really think it's 80%, you know, mindset. Um, and then the tactical things follow that. So it's so cool you brought that up. There is something that um, I wanted to bring up, and this is me going rogue, but those are usually the best conversations. When you and I had our connection call, you were asking me about my background. I was telling you about my sales executive position. And I explained to you, yeah, I, um, I got fired from that position. And for some reason, almost everybody, when they hear that, they go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And you were like, duh, of course. I can tell just talking to you. Like, yeah. And I was like, Thank you. <laughs> like, I'm not quite sure what that means, but at the same time, like you were so encouraging, you were so like, but of course it happens. Um, and at the same time, you know, it really has been one of the best things that has ever happened to me, but I know this is a little bit part of your story. I know, um, it's not always rainbows and butterflies and you have the end result and it's a perfect track on the way there. So what are some experiences that have happened to you that made you pivot? And what can you say to an entrepreneur who, you know, when things don't go exactly planned, how to kind of react to this and, and make it part of their story? Yeah, well, I think what I might've said was congratulations too. Yeah, you did. Well, that's, you know, if you get divorced, you lose a, you get kicked out of a company, you get fired, you lose a client. It's, it's a congratulations moment all the time because what happened was somebody who didn't value you for you told you that it wasn't working. And you don't have to keep trying to work at something. So it's freedom to, when somebody, there's, there's 7 billion people on the planet you could have a relationship with. Like whoever that one person is doesn't need to be the, you know, you don't need to spend all your time. You shouldn't spend any appreciable amount of time with anybody who doesn't appreciate you for you, whatever that looks like. So as long as you're being yourself, if you get rejected, the worst is getting rejected for being somebody else. So if you're being fake and your fake you gets rejected, well, you know, that wasn't you anyway. But if you're being yourself, and people don't appreciate it, then tough shit. Like that's like good for you that they told you, so you don't have to waste any time trying to make it, trying to make it work. Exactly. And nothing's ever going to go according to plan. You're going to be off course more than you're on course on any journey. So think about if you're traveling from New York to Chicago, it's a pretty much straight shot west. But the road doesn't go west. It goes a little bit, a little bit to the north, and you're going to have to go back south. And if you looked at the car in the direction, if you 
if you could look at what direction you're on the road, where is the, where is your car pointing? Very seldom is the car actually pointing directly at Chicago. Right. Right. It's moving around. And it's that way on most journeys that you're going to find that you're moving around. As long as you're moving in the general direction, you'll you'll get there or get somewhere similar or change where you want to get to. But it's never going to go the way you want it to. I have a 24 year old who handles my social media and he was at my house a few months ago and asked me, hey, when you were you went through a lot of shit, you've had companies fail, you've been kicked out of companies, you've had I've had divorces, divorce singular. I've had. Um, I've had a lot of interesting things happen. And he said, what would you do differently? And I can honestly say that at 50, all those bullshit things that I went through that were horrible, I can honestly say that I don't know which one I would undo if I could go back in time, even though it would have eliminated a lot of pain short term. Now with with the benefit of some hindsight, I can see that all those bad things either taught me a lesson that I was able to use later which I wouldn't have had, right? They say good, good decisions come from experience, experience comes from bad decisions. That if I hadn't had those experiences, I don't know that I would have had the valuable perspective. Yes. And the example I use that's the most, um, a really interesting one is at 25, four or five, one of my college buddies had cancer, had brain cancer. And at 24, 25, I really didn't know how to talk to him about it because I'm 25. And so, he knew he had a brain tumor. I knew he had a brain tumor and he knew that I knew he had a brain tumor. So we would talk, but we wouldn't really talk about that. Right. And then he died. And he wasn't one of my closest friends, but he was a friend from college. And when it was done, I said, hey, let's build a park in his neighborhood. And let's, let's do something for, to keep his memory. And I remember another friend of mine, Ed Tanner said, you know, it would have been great if you had been there for him when he was alive. And I thought about that and thought, as uncomfortable as I was talking to someone who was 25 and not knowing what to say to him, to somebody who's dying is, well, you know, who was more uncomfortable, the guy who was dying. And so 15 years later, fast forward, a good buddy of mine from high school, who was a good friend, had um, three young kids and he had multiple myeloma and he was dying and nobody wanted to talk to him about it. And I would just come right out and go like, Matt, how are you doing? Like, oh, I'm doing fine. I was like, I know you're positive for your wife and your kids. How are you doing? with this. And I just, I went out of my way to talk to him about it all the time, as often as I could. And it seemed like I knew a lot more about his health than the people who lived in Rhode Island. And I was in California at the time. And so I go back from my college reunion uh, in Rhode Island. I'm going to have breakfast with Matt on, I'm going to have lunch with him on, on Friday. I put it off to go to happy hour. And he said, let's just have breakfast on Sunday before you leave. So long story longer, I call his house on Sunday morning. His wife answers his phone and says, Matt was up all night. He's not feeling well. He was throwing up like he just went to sleep. I don't want to wake him, but you can, you know, you can pop in and see him. And I said, I said, listen, I'm coming back on Friday. I'm going back to California, but I'm coming back again. I'll see him next week. Don't wake him. I don't want to, I don't want to see him. Matt died on Wednesday. Yeah. And so I carried that for 10 years that I would not, that I put off going out with my buddies and I didn't see him. And I carried that weight for a long ass time. And still haven't forgiven myself. But when my dad got sick in February, I, I chartered a private plane in the middle of COVID and went and got him. And it turned out I got the last three weeks of my dad's life. I didn't, we didn't know he was dying. We thought he was recovering from something. And it turned out he spent the last couple of weeks of his life at my house. And if I hadn't had that moment with Matt, where I beat myself up for 10 years, would I have spent $24,000 to rent a jet to go get my dad and bring him home? Like, I don't know that I would have, and then I wouldn't have had that. So do I regret not seeing Matt on that Friday? Like I do, but if I hadn't done that, 
I wouldn't have had the motivation to do, you know, to do something that actually gave me a really great experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's not a business thing, but it's just the fact that even something I beat myself up about turned out that, Ooh, it actually, it actually got me to do something differently. And I, I think in business, the same thing that um, two things in business, I would say are really important because you're talking about this unleashing this, this feminine beast. And when I interviewed people for the six secrets book and for um, giraffe money, very successful millionaires and billionaires, every one of them said that their best idea, we all know what our best idea was. We also know what the responses people gave us when we first pitched it. And the response to your best idea is the same three words from everybody. You're fucking nuts. Like, like that. I mean, that's, that's the response that a great idea is so new. It's going to have to be risky. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different. And so when you do something different, you're going to be met with great resistance, yes. which, and most people are not giraffes that are non-territorial, non-migratory, they're zebra and they're wildebeest and they, they go with the group and they move with the group and they like the safety of the group. And so it's natural when you're trying to do something big and different for people to be concerned. And it's not because they don't trust you. It's not because they don't believe in you. It's because they're afraid themselves or they just want everybody to be part of the group. And I think that that's a huge challenge for folks in entrepreneurship that you're going to have to leave the herd and you want to leave the herd because you want a different outcome than what the herd gets. But the problem is most people want to be outliers financially, but they don't, but they don't want to be outcast socially. And you can't do the same thing that all your friends do. You can't be one of the girls. You can't be one of the girls who does it exactly the same, but ends up with three times as much money. Right. Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen. The only way you end up with more is because you do different, not more, you do different. So when you're different, you get different results. And that's, um, that's one of the challenges that you're going to have to do something other people haven't done in a way they haven't done it. It's going to make them really uncomfortable your mom and your dad worrying about you, your girlfriend's worrying about you, like you really want to take this risk. That's the only way you're going to get to something special is to do something nobody else has done before or do it in a way nobody has, which of course is inherent with, there's a ton of risk in that. I love everything that you're saying. I resonate with this so much. I'm a huge risk taker. And honestly, I owe a lot of my success to those risks. Um, I'm a young woman, but I mean, I have gone through a bankruptcy. Like I said, I've been fired from an executive position. I've moved across the country eight times in the last eight years. I got married at the age of 22. I've already had two children. (laughs) Like um, I lost a father too. And my father, he's lived the life. I mean, he lived in Puerto Rico for 15 years. He used to play for the New York Giants. He was a professional uh, musician who wears short shorts. My dad was the drummer for that. Like he's lived the life. And I remember when he was passing away, he always said to me, um, I said, daddy, are you afraid to pass over? And he's like, no, I'm just afraid that I didn't, you know, help enough people when I was here. And I knew, you know, he, he turned to me, he said, Cindy, that's not going to be you. You're going to change the lives of thousands of people. And I held on to that, but more and more failures have happened since then. But what I have trained myself to do as an entrepreneur, as a leader of not just you know my company, but uh, my community, my family, is to always look at myself as the CEO. So whether or not you're the CEO of a business or not, you are the CEO of your life. So you're the shot caller, you're the visionary. It's up to you to label things. Are they good or are they bad? Really, they're neither. But if you're going to label it, label it for you. And that's what I live my life by. Everything's happening for you, 
by you. Nothing's happening to you. And so what I've trained myself to do and get to the level of success that I'm at already, again, within our fourth month of our, our company, we hit six figures in sales. That didn't just happen. It wasn't like, oh, let's hope and see. It was really because of the fact that I label everything in my mind good. <laughs> when, the, when, when you invest tens of thousands of dollars and you get zero sales out of it, this is good. This is good. We're learning from this. You learn. That's right. You learn. Yeah. You, you won't do it again. When your top, you know, employee quits, you're like, okay, this is good. Like we're gonna make room. So it's, um, yeah, that's really helped me. And it's so fun hearing your perspective and hearing such an outside of business kind of relation um, or story that you shared to see how that ties in. But thank you for being again vulnerable, um, and really sharing that. That was super cool. So I want to, you know, wrap up today's session. But I really would love for people to kind of hear about what exciting things you have coming up. I know that you said the Draft University is coming. You and I talked a little bit about podcasts coming soon. So I'd love for you to share about that. And then also, how can people find and connect with you online? Sure. So easiest place to find me is Chris Ray Jarvis, C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-J-A-R-V-I-S on Instagram. Uh, that's where we post updates and that's the easiest place to find me for now. Uh, ChrisJarvis.me is my website for my speaking and coaching and all that. The big things going on, GiraffeU. So GiraffeU.com is where we're building the platform to help people find the things that matter for you and help you achieve those goals, whatever they look like. So again, it's all about the context of your life and what is it you're trying to find? Is it is it better money? Is it better connection to your career and purpose? Is it better relationships, health, having more fun, whatever that looks like? So those are the things that are going to be happening at GU, which I'm really excited about. Uh, yeah. Be the Draft podcast is about people who stick their necks out and see things others can't and reach things others won't. So yeah, all of this is, all the stuff is going on. Um, the Giraffe Money book is what do billionaires do with money and millionaires that, that everybody needs to know. Six Secrets to Leveraging Success is for business owners that are stuck. They just can't get through that next, to that next level. So yeah. So <laughs> if any of those things help, uh, feel free to find me, social media, DM me. Um, you know, I, I just like to help and cool. help any way I can. So it's a pleasure to be here. I, I really believe that about you. I can tell that um, you really genuinely care about serving. And I love that about you. Um, so everybody, don't worry. I'll be posting all the links and everything so that you can connect with Chris. Um, this was fun. I really had fun with you. Thank you for adding some spunk, some, you know, really vulnerable moments and just, you know, opening everybody's mind to what it really takes to be successful. So I appreciate you. And for our listeners, in the meantime, acknowledge it, embrace it, see you through. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, successful soul. Before you head to the next episode of Spiritual Success, be sure to come join me and other like-minded entrepreneurs and business professionals in my Facebook group called Spiritual Success Sorority. Everyone is welcome. And if you're loving the show, you're going to love the group even more. There, I'll be engaging with you weekly in live shows, listening to your input for new weekly topics, and hosting exclusive workshops for members only. So if you're looking to really uplevel your financial and personal success, meet me on over in the Spiritual Success Sorority Facebook group. See you on the inside.